fourth grade, you had to either pick no instruments and you took a special class, band or orchestra. And within band and orchestra, you could pick your instrument. And this was their way of integrating, not being in one classroom with one teacher, because while you did your instruments, all the other kids would have like a elective period and it gets us ready for middle school. Yeah, we had a similar thing. I wanted to play the bass. <laughs> I was like, I did not have my growth spurt. I'm 5'4 and I was a foot shorter. So I was like 4'4", 4'3", even shorter. I was tiny. I really wanted to play the bass. I wanted something standing. I wanted to just like hold it up and just like a deep, loud sound. And that's what I still love. And I still listen to bass or cello when I study. This teacher calls in me and this other kid and she goes, I only have one bass that will fit the two of you. And I'm gonna pick this, this boy, his name was Dan. I'm going to pick Dan because his mother wrote me a letter as to why he should be playing the bass and he needs to have the bass. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, why can't I have my mom write me a letter? And she's like, you're honestly too tiny. And I was like, we're the same height. Like this classic sex is like, yeah. yeah. And I think this guy also maybe is like an inch taller to me. He's like kind of on a short side too. And I remember this because granted he did, keep playing the bass and I think he went to like college to play the bass so like props to him maybe his mom said that in the letter maybe <laughs> and like maybe his mom this whole time was like you must play the fucking bass and he wrote that letter but now I like retold the story to my mom and she's like I would have wrote you a letter I would have helped rented you a bass I had to rent you a violin anyway like yeah I was just would have been say, the difference like usually it's like the weird instruments that they keep so that like they can yeah. convince people like you won't have to pay for the rental but like you could still rent that you know like so you had to rent instruments regardless but for bass and cello, so you wouldn't have a bunch of fucking fourth graders trailing in with a massive bass or cello. Oh, you had one at home. You had one at home. And then my mom played the violin when she was younger. So I was like, I'll play the violin. And hated it. Like hated Violin's it, hated lame. it, hated it. Then in middle school, I had a teacher tell me because there were budget cuts. So you couldn't do both uh, band slash orchestra and chorus, which what I was doing. That's and she stupid because those up, are the same kids always. Exactly. And she's straight up. It was only the kid, the like three kids that could do it were the musically inclined like prodigies. Oh, that's on some bullshit. It was bullshit. And the cello teacher at that time told me to go to chorus because she didn't think I had it in me to play violin. And I was like, I never wanted to play the violin here. And I love telling me a story because it just shows. You would have been a musical bullshit. If I could have been a musical I still strategy. listen to the cello. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Her voice is music to my ears. Lexi, Lexi, what's the pod crew's band name? Oh, we're not Lady History the band? No, we're something else. Is this something I should know? Is this a quiz? Sprinkle Bear McPuss and Boots there you go. and the Sprinkle Bear McPuss and Boots gang? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I, was just, I just need a 
Puss in Boots reference for my next question. And she makes my heart sing. Haley, this is the second consecutive episode with a Sprinkle Bear reference. How you feeling? I have a lot of allergies at the moment. So um, I have, if y'all watch Friends, when Phoebe gets sick and when she sings like Smelly Cat, she's all like this sultry, sexy, stuffed up nasally. So that's what you're getting this music day. It's veiny, very Alanis Morissette. Yeah. I love her. And I'm Alana, and it was never a phase. It's a lifestyle. Stream monsters by all time low, except actually stream glitter and crimson instead. <laughs> wow. How did I, I know that was understand going? any of those words? Dear Maria, Count Me In is a song by all time low. It was their first hit. It came out in 2007. A couple months ago, everyone was singing it in their cars, being like, Mom, it was never a phase. It's a lifestyle. Did they put it back on the charts above this new single with Demi Lovato? They absolutely did. And now All Time Low can never take it off the set list. Anyways, gosh, I have to do recorders in third grade. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I still have my recorder. The worst day. It was one day for you? No, 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 no. no. There was every year there was one day that the third graders all took their recorders home and it was horrid because they would play them before they learned how to play them so you would just hear them while they were waiting for their parents to come get them just playing bullshit and it was the worst and then like when I was in third grade I absolutely was that little bitch kid who was like playing nothing just because it was fun and then kindergarten not really kindergarten because that was a different time schedule but like first and second grade I was like well I can't wait to have a recorder and then fourth fifth and sixth grade I was like can you guys shut the fuck up with those things first off at my school the bus drivers would have been like shut the fuck up this was just like so the place where I went to school was a lot of like walking um, so kids who were walking kids home would- playing the recorder no they because they weren't allowed to like leave the school until their parents came and got them they would just be in this yard waiting to find but their like, parents. But, like, weren't there, like, attendants and supervisors who would have been, like, please do a kindly shut the fuck up? <laughs> no. I'm so fascinated. I mean, you would think. But, no. And people were just still, like, just, like, <laughs> hooting away. When I was in the sixth grade, I thought I was, like, good at recorder. And I had a Everyone's YouTube channel. Everyone's good at recorder. It's a child's I, I, I had a YouTube channel where I posted videos of myself playing the recorder <laughs> in the yard. Like walking around my backyard. So anyway, if someone finds that, they get. I'll give. The, I'll buy them a free month of our Patreon if they find that video. Good luck. DM it to. DM it to us on Instagram or email us if you're on Instagram. If you find it, I'll buy you a month of the top tier. So you'll Ooh. you'll really you'll get the experience. I also play sort of ukulele, kind of. Wow. <laughs> Are you a gay white woman? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you got a ukulele? Okay. Yes, it's signed by you know the guy who did those after ever after videos. They're like parodies for the princesses and there are four of them. Oh yeah. It's signed by him. Oh, wow. There's Is a picture it of us together. Now? Oh my gosh. Yes, because I got it in 2013. <laughs> my dad has a left-handed um, bass ukulele with Darth Vader engraved in it. No, I met Paint. That's his his name is John Cozart, but his YouTube channel is Paint at VidCon, and that's on growing up in Southern California and also going to VidCon before it sucked. Viners and TikTokers fucked it up. True. Now is that Hank doesn't own it, it's not good. Sarangar, <laughs> Sarang, Sarang.
So I've kind of crafted this story in a unique way. This is like when Haley tried the vignettes thing for the first time, like the things they carried. I don't know if you had to read that book in English class, but but this is not vignettes. Um, I've just been wanting to try something a little different. And this seemed like the perfect chance to do that because I knew this story. I, I didn't know, I still had to research it, but I knew of this story and I knew that I could do it the way that was unique. Um, I'm calling this style Oreo story. And I think you'll see why when you listen, but if you miss it, I'll explain why at the end. Also, in case you don't know, I think it's helpful information for this story that surnames come first in Korea. So last name, first name, if you're thinking in Western terms. So when I say someone's name, I'm saying their surname first and their given name, or I'm only saying their given name because, you know, I'm on a first name basis with all the ladies we talk about. So, okay, now on to the story. In 2010, the Korean pop group Miss A debuted under JYP Entertainment, which is one of the largest Korean entertainment management companies. It's an it's a entertainment conglomerate that's very popular and has debuted many groups that are really popular. In Korea, pop groups are often trained for years before their debut, and training is a rigorous, difficult process. The star member of Miss A, Bae Su-ji, was born on October 10, 1994 in Gwangju, South Korea and was scouted by JYP after appearing on a reality show for amateur singers. She took on the stage name Suzy, so like a westernized version of Suji. And after debuting to international success in China, Suzy branched out and began acting. So they debuted her in China, then they debuted her in Korea, and then she became an actress. So she had this very big start to her career, I guess. Soon, she was making enough money to help her family, and she gifted them a house, a car, and a cafe, and her mom filled the cafe with pictures of the band, and, like, fans would go there and see the pictures of the band, and so it supported her business, and so she was able to make, like, money in her business, and this was, you know, she didn't want to just get handouts from her daughter, so this was a really good thing for her. It kept her, like, prideful and had her own, she had her own experience and her own way to make money. In 2015, Susie took the lead role in a Korean film, The Sound of a Flower, she portrayed Jin Chae-sun, a real historical figure. And Chae-sun was the first woman in Korean history to perform pansori, which is a traditional Korean style of musical storytelling, which is performed by one singer and one drummer. So someone sings a story and then a drummer plays a beat to go with the story. This is a very common type of thing. Like we see this as the basis of music in a lot of cultures, right? So it's just their traditional style of music that they have in Korea. One of their many traditional styles of music. There are many. So here's the real story of Chaeson. She was born in 1847 in a small fishing village on the land that is now part of South Korea, but obviously at the time South Korea didn't exist. So she was born in Chosan, which we talked about in the pod before, but in case you haven't heard before, Chosan was the dynasty that was Korea prior to Japan coming and taking over. And then Korea became Korea after World War II. Taesun was the daughter of a shaman and a musician, and she was a naturally talented singer. And because her father was a musician, she was able to practice and grow this talent in a way a lot of women at the time were not able to. They didn't have access to the resources that she did. But because she lived in a musical household, she was able to gain these skills. But she lived during the Chosan period, right? And women were restricted by patriarchal ideals and laws at this time. The only women allowed to perform or even like come in close contact with men that they weren't related to or married to were female entertainers that were considered to be property of the military or the central or local government. So these women were not like singers the way that Chase Alm was, but they just entertained through their knowledge of poetry, medicine, and dancing. 
And despite the circumstances of women's place in Choson society, Chaseon was determined to follow her passion and use her talent. And even though there was social stigma that prevented women from performing ponsori, a notable ponsori composer, Shin Chaehyo, noticed her talent and took her under his wing to train her as a ponsori singer. At the age of just 17, she was practicing ponsori under this really elite teacher. At the age of 22, her teacher sent her to sing at the palace with some sources claiming that she had to perform initially disguised as a man in the palace because they wouldn't accept a woman. There, she caught the eye of the Daewongun. Um, this term literally translates to mean prince of the great court, but at this point in Korea, it refers to a father of a king who has not ruled himself. And this usually occurs when the king, an older out relative of the Daewongun, decides to appoint an heir that is the son of the Daewongun because he has no sons of his own. So like if someone appoints their nephew, their nephew's father becomes this this role, if that makes sense. It's complicated Korean palace stuff, but that's who this person was. So he's in the royal family, but he himself is not king. He decides to keep Chaseon as a palace performer. And some scholars claim that she served as his concubine, but there's nothing to confirm or deny that. So she may have been a concubine, but her main role was as a palace performer. And Chaseon, now trapped as a servant, longed to be free and to be reunited with her teacher, who at this point she had fallen in love with. When the Taewangun fell from power, Chaseon was able to return to her hometown, but unfortunately her teacher had fallen ill. He was 35 years her senior, and shortly after she returned, he passed away. She was devastated, and she mourned the loss of her teacher and her love, and after three years, she disappeared without a trace. No one knows when and where she died, though some claim she went to live in a Buddhist temple and died a lonely, sad death, but we aren't sure. We don't know where she went. We don't know what year she died. Nothing. Chaseon's impact was still felt long after her death, with many women beginning to study ponsori because they could. While the sound of a flower adds fictional elements, Susie took the history of the role very seriously. Susie studied ponsori for an entire year prior to the start of filming. Susie says that she saw herself in Chaseon and that though women are no longer forbidden from performing in Korea, she felt she related to the pressure that the historical figure had. She said, quote, my parents don't approve of my singing and dancing. So sometimes I hid the fact that I was even going to practice, unquote. That's translated from Korean, but I hope the point comes across. And if you live in the U.S., you can rent The Sound of a Flower on YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play for $4. So if you would like to watch it, that's pretty cool. And if you're in Korea, it's on Amazon Prime. So like, hint, if you have the VPN, whatever, I didn't say anything. In 2017, Miss A disbanded and Suzy debuted as a solo singer, taking back her surname and performing as Bay Suzy. She is still active as a performer in the film and music industry today, though she's kind of slowed down a little bit from, from the earlier days when she was really doing a lot. So I'm glad she's taking more time for herself. Also, fun fact, I just wanted to drop in here, just a little drip drop. When I was a senior in high school, Bay Suzy was dating my favorite Korean star, Eamon Ho. So that's kind of why I picked her. I knew about her and I was like, well, I know she made that movie like while they were dating is when she was making this movie. So but mainly I wanted to explore the idea of showing connection between a woman from history and a woman who's making history today and through the like the through lines of the themes of the past and the present and women in music and all women who perform. They face struggles that they can relate to the past and present because, you know, society loves to judge women. Method acting. Jared Leto wishes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, fabulous. Like, just if he could connect this deeply with the Joker, I mean, whatever. 
Okay. And so the reason I called this an Oreo story, in case you didn't get it yet, was because I used a modern story as the cookies to frame a historical story, which is that sweet, creamy, juicy filling. <laughs> so please let me would know. not call Oreo filling juicy, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's good. It's, it's, I'm not juicy in like the, mm, like it's a good way, but so please let me know if you like that format, because I have a couple other ideas where I could like do something similar not exactly this but kind of using like a woman from from one time period and linking her to another time period in the past to kind of show a connection and I think it beefed up a story that didn't have a lot um because we don't know that much because she disappeared and died and we don't know what happened to her so I think it beefed up her story to give you some modern context so yeah let me know what you think by you know using the contact form on our website or dming dming us Personally obsessed. Thank you. Still stuck on the fact that you called this sector juicy. Uh, please leave a comment yeah, if you too. think Oreos are juicy. This is our controversy. This is how we're going to get big. I was is about Oreo to go... center juicy? Maybe yeah. we could get an Oreo sponsorship. Really was about to go so... eat some Oreos. I have to eat like, because I have two packs. I have the mint flavored ones. That's like I love a... the mint flavored ones. I know Good that's shit. a hot take. I love the mint I love flavored them. ones. No, I Robert love them too. always gets them even, for our anniversary or like a thing. Yeah, love them. And then just some regular ones because my mom brought me them because they were on sale. But I need to get room for the springtime filling, which is always Mm. yellow, my favorite color. So I need to eat some Oreos, but now that you just called it juicy. Listen, juicy (laughs) is the wrong word, but I will be putting a poll on the Instagram the day this episode comes out that will say, is Oreos juicy? So if you're listening to this the day it dropped, please go to our Instagram and select, is Oreos juicy? Yes or no. Hello, my name is Talia Smith, the host of Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast. On our show, we talk to historians, artists, podcasters, and creators from all around the world about the stories that impact our lives. Join us for Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast, season three, streaming on all platforms, April 2nd. You can find us at a storytelling podcast on Instagram for more information. So this is going to be a short story because there's not much accessible and it's a very weird mix of traditional books versus what seems like blog posts or websites analyzing like music sheets, which I cannot read. Nonetheless, I'm covering the first woman to be published musically, composer Madalena Casulana. Using my Spanish there, but we're traveling back to Europe in the 1500s. It's the height of the Renaissance, if you will. And side note, the Renaissance is the revival of culture, art, literature, etc. Included a lot of classical ideals, which is Greek and Roman. And while this sounds fabulous, some things that did not magically get revived were like gender roles. Fun, fun, fun. Some would say that gender roles still haven't been revived because we still have a lot of gender bias. I'm whispering for the back. What is happening with Flexi? I'm suffocating because you're like, I'm whispering. Okay, but what's killing me is the I'm whispering for the back when people are usually like, say it louder for the people in the back. Sometimes I get startled with loud noises. So I'm going to whisper. I'm like a cat.
This Italian composer sometimes referred to as the first female composer, but some, and this is going to be me, in a very specific extra oomph amendment to say that she was the first because she was the first female composer to be published in print in the Western world. Because history. Some speculate that her first book of Madrigas, probably pronouncing it correctly, printed in Venice in 1568, could be the first published book by a female, a woman. We don't really know what her preferred pronouns were, but everything says she female woman, which also irked me because it was just like this woman. I'm like, that's aggressive. I digress. And again, we're using the Western world perspective because of history. But then again, who knows? Because this was the 1500s and we barely have a lot of sources on her. And then other than musical sheets, there's very little concrete evidence. So if like we didn't have her music written and published, we probably wouldn't have known about her at all. Even though the Renaissance was like this lively birth of like writing everything down because they realized that they're in such a cultural oomph, reumph that things should be. That makes me think that like maybe there were a bunch of other female or like exactly. women composers in the Renaissance who just like didn't get published. And like so we don't I was know saying, exactly. Like I was saying in the last episode of people like waiting. Or were they the disguised wars. as men? That too. Shakespeare, multiple women. I Shakespeare is three women in a Shakespeare suit. We need to do a Patreon episode about how Shakespeare is actually three women. We talked about that. We said that before we even had the Patreon. We're like, we're going to do an episode on that. Amazing. We should yeah. do it. I have a lot of thoughts on like when we get to 1500s. Wouldn't that be such a good movie? Yeah. Yeah. That would be such a good movie. Like it's just three Also three just like bros a fiction plays. book. Yeah. It's- my God. Should I just write that? Please write it. Oh. I'm still writing my zombie novel. Like I said, we just like did not have a note. And that's like it for my story. Besides like three notes of people contradicting themselves. So she could have been married or not married. I saw one article that said she was married to some guy named Mizari, but like meh, living in multiple cities like Milan, Verona, and Florence. These cities also came up as places she visited at the very least with a bunch of kids or a bunch of cats. I found no facts about the cats, but a girl can dream. One note that kept popping up was that she was close to Isabella de Medici and dedicated some of her music to her. So gals being pals, like no confirmation there was like not i also bet that's how she got published by being close with the medicis yes that's my also thought but i thought it was hysterical because like her whether her being like her marital status was like kind of some articles were referenced i think one even said like she wasn't married but being friends with isabella de medici was like hard fact people would put and i was like hmm this this opens up so many levels and layers that says be gay do art that's you know okay but like that's one of those universal things that we were talking about that like everyone would love so i think we should do that anyways next sale i think we should do that isabella de medici and like what we do know about her last book which again like alana expertly said i think that's why she was published in the first place because the medici family was i think they owned like the one bank in Rome but like they were I think they just owned Rome yeah I was just gonna say (laughs) they owned Rome but I think it started because they owned a bank and then it just like flourished and they started like buying a bunch of stuff and yeah super um, political 
like politically powerful. Yeah, and that. they started um, investing in the arts. So they invested in her. And we know her last book was dated to around 1586, but some scholars, okay, so here like with this part, it also brings up just layers because some scholars presume that she died shortly after. But that could also mean we just don't have her books because it was the 1500s. Like saying that her last book published or her, and when I say book, like just composition of sheet music of 1586 just means that like the Gutenberg and his printing press were literally invented a hundred years, a hundred years exactly before. So this is like a tiny baby blip in the span of printing history and I feel like in those 100 years to print female music was not at the top of the printing press ledger so I don't think her last actual composition booklet that was circulated was in 1586 therefore I think she lived a little bit past it but that's just me doing my speculation and I, I did actually put some sources where you can read her sheet music. So if you can like play her music, please send us an audio clip. I would love to hear it. I don't play, as we talked about, I do not play instruments. That's, that's it. That's all I have for you. I love it. So I don't really like talking about living people. It just makes me a little bit uncomfortable, probably because the first living person I talked about was Monica Lewinsky. And so that like, because that was so fraught, I didn't like it, it put me off from talking about a lot of people. Anyways, I absolutely, we're talking about musicians. I had to cover Dolly Parton. Dolly Rebecca Parton was born January 19th, 1946, a Capricorn Aquarius cusp. We almost got her. We almost had Rihanna, and now I almost have Dolly Parton. So close. I'm For context, I am an Aquarius, and I really like claiming other cool ladies as Aquarius, but Dolly Parton is technically a Capricorn. She was born in Locust Ridge, Tennessee, which is like up in the mountains area. She was the fourth child of 12. The Parton family was very poor, and Dolly's song, Coat of Many Colors, is about being made fun of for her patchwork clothing was encouraged into music at an early age by her uncle Bill Owens, who got her a guitar. Her first guest appearance at the Grand Ole Opry was at the age of 13, and she moved to Nashville right after high school to pursue music. After Dolly had recorded a couple of singles with a couple of labels, she got the part of girl singer on the Porter Wagner show, which is like a singer who is a girl because they need a girl so props for low-key gender diversity I guess side note I abbreviated I guess to IG on my notes and my brain was like Instagram but whenever I see someone abbreviate Instagram to IG I'm like I guess my brain is fucked up Dolly and Porter are recording albums together and Dolly's fame and success and popularity they're all skyrocketing And Dolly has to leave Porter Wagner to go do her own thing, but she writes him a goodbye song, I Will Always Love You, that Whitney Houston covered. I put the drunk history bit that they did from like season one or two about Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner uh, in further learning. It's pretty accurate from 
what I read, and y'all know I am number one drunk history stan. So now Dolly Parton is going off. She's doing her own thing. She is crossing genres between country and pop. She is churning out hits. In the late 60s and early 70s, she put out three albums of new material a year. She's incredible. And she has also had an acting career. Movies and musicals like 9 to 5 and Best Little Whorehouse in Texas that she wrote the music for. But if you're me, you probably know her acting career playing herself on Hannah Montana, where she plays Miley Stewart's godmother. I don't have a source for that one. That one's just in my brain. That was my first exposure to Dolly Parton, actually, was her on Isn't a... it because she's uh, Miley's godmother? That's why she I was think on the show? So. I think it's like, well, so Dolly Parton plays Miley's godmother, and I think she also is in real life, but I'm not I thought sure. she played it. I thought she played that role because she was yeah i think so yeah exactly not positive that was was my first thing of dolly too so you're you're not okay sorry you didn't have a grandpa who showed you nine to five when you were five years old oh boy working nine to five what a way to make a living anyways dolly has got nominations but hasn't won all of them that's uh emmy grammy oscar and tony so she's been nominated for all of those but she has only won a few of them The Library of Congress gave her the Living Legend Award in 2004, and she also won the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011. That was years ago, and she's still doing stuff. This section is called Dolly Parton is a Beautiful Human and We Don't Deserve Her. She founded the Imagination Library in 1995, which is a childhood literacy project that gifts children's books to families of any income started just in the Tennessee County where she grew up, but now it's nationwide and in Canada, the UK, Australia, and Ireland. And I think this is what people mean when they say like everybody loves Dolly Parton because like, how do you disagree with children learning to read? She recently turned down a statue of herself at the state Capitol building in Tennessee. I think because over the summer, a lot of people were like, take down the Confederate statues and replace them with Dolly Parton because everybody loves Dolly Parton. But she put the statement on Twitter, and the statement is also in further learning, that she was basically just like, I'm honored, but I don't deserve it. (laughs) But I think that when she dies, which is hopefully uh, many, 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 many years from now, uh, we're going to start seeing statues. And then at the start of the pandemic, she gave $1 million to Moderna for vaccine development. And at the beginning of March, she got her first dose and sang about the vaccine to the tune of Jolene. And I'm including the video in further learning, and it is delightful. Her little tag says country music legend, and she calls the people who aren't getting the vaccine cowards. Don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. It's like 25% of them are people being like, woo, Dolly, everybody loves Dolly. And 75% of them are like, first of all, some of them are like, how much did Moderna pay you to get this vaccine? And it's like, you guys, she paid Moderna for this vaccine. Um, she paid Moderna for you to get the for vaccine. you to get the vaccine. <laughs> so don't read the comments, but I think she's great, and her little Jolene cover is so cute. She was also offered the vaccine like when it yeah. first rolled out, and she was like, "Nah, like no. I can wait. I have the privilege and like the resources mm-hmm. to like stay safe. Others yeah. don't give she was that." Like first I can isolate. Them. Give it to first responders. Give it to like first responders. Yeah. Anyways, I love Dolly Parton. Thanks, Dolly, for being a, a good. Nugget. <laughs> have you ever been to Dollywood? I, that was my thing. My dad and no, I, I stayed at Dollywood. Dollywood. 
I've not it's been fabulous. to Dollywood. I've never been to Tennessee at all, except I think I had a layover in America. Okay, I went to Pigeon Forge as my school band trip. Come <laughs> <Oof. laughs> yes. full, full circle for the episode. Yes. Um, with my toxic ex-boyfriend who we won't discuss, who kind of almost ruined the whole trip. But anyway, Dolly World. I could not go on any of the rides because Dolly loves like really intense coasters. So she buys like these really intense coasters and that's like her thing. Like that's the park. But I appreciated the aesthetics and the vibe. And I did spend most of my time in the air-conditioned museum about country music that she has, which is very diverse and includes country music artists of all backgrounds. So good on her for that. And I also bought a vinyl record from a store there of hers so that I felt like I... Well, I was at the point in my life where everywhere I went, I went to an antique store and bought a vinyl record as my souvenir. But I wanted to buy something from Pigeon Forge to commemorate Dollywood. That's cool. I went off season, so I didn't actually get to go into the Dollywood, but we stayed at the hotel, A plus hotel. Did you go to the aquarium? No, <laughs> unfortunately, it was a road trip. And this was like, my dad booked it, not knowing what Dollywood was really. <laughs> I like, dragged the back my of dad his head, he knew what it was. Like he, I dragged he, my dad to a, an aquarium in Barcelona because so that's weird. the kind of person that I am. My mom and my sister were like, let's walk around and look at the before. I probably have. We're like, let's like walk around and look at the architecture. And I'm just like, can we, can we go to the aquarium? I want to go to the aquarium. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, it surprisingly comes out on April Fools. So will we have some tricks up our sleeves? You'll just have to tune in to find out. Very nice. Thanks, guys, for listening. Guess what? We're on Patreon. Tiers start at just $1 a month. And we have three of them. Become a brilliant backer for $1. Find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter. Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational super fan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it.